As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm seated with Martin Cothran, Dr. Alita Sundet. Is that how you pronounce it? That's right. And Tony Charlton. And we have a very special episode. We're going to talk about an article in The Classical Teacher written by Dr. Alita Sundet called Why Heroines Matter. Before we get there, Dr. Alita Sundet, <laughs> what have you been reading recently? Well, I'm coming off of Christmas vacation, right. so this isn't really a fair question. But uh, <laughs> so lots, It's not lots. a fair question because you've been reading things you don't think of as quality or because you've not read as much. Right, as not typical. characteristic of my oh, usual sure, of your taste and high interest. quality. That's right. That's no, right. Um, I've been reading a lot of British mysteries. Oh, Tanya and I were talking about that. We have a common love of British murder mysteries. Yeah. Yes. But last night I did start uh, Kristen Lovin's Daughter. Oh, oh. Um, have you read that before? I, I never have. Oh. And many people that I admire very much love it. But I'm uh, I'm intrigued because uh, one of my favorite authors, Isaac Dennison, mm. uh, really, really did not like Sigrid Unset mm. and um, actually wrote one of my favorite short stories as a response to. Really? Uh, oh, really? So yes. I didn't know that. I would, so, uh, we need to I, read that short yeah, story. Yeah. So I'm, I'm what, really what interested. Is, what is it? There, Kristen Lovren's daughter has made a big comeback. The there's a new translation. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. New translation. New translation. Yeah. See, I read the original translation and I feel like I need to reread it in the new one. I read it in the new one. Yes. And I thought there was, there, I, I, I thought there was a couple anachronisms, a couple, I mean, some, mm. just the way something was said. Mm. And it's so, because of the setting and it's in what, 14th century Norway or something. Uh, and and I went back and I just sampled the newer, the the, uh, the original translation. Mm. It's much more archaic and in right. the way it fits in a way that the, uh, to me the archaic style fits the the setting and the story right. better. So, but I I I didn't know there was I th- I didn't know what translation I was listening to. I it's hard to find the original. It. It's mm-hmm. literally out of print. Yeah, I have a I have a boxed um, old boxed set that's mm-hmm. in really good condition. That I well, proudly. Uh, yeah, my, my absolutely. Handle, so, yeah. Now, Lita, we're not at all embarrassed by British murder mysteries here. <laughs> no, I know. So, so, so tell us what. Which I'm ones not really you've been either. Um, I. I love, um, well, I love Sayers. Mm. Um, so I just finished one of hers and, uh, Nio Marsh, okay. less, less known, but Tanya knows her. I know her. I've read um, everything she yes. wrote. She wrote like, you know, a hundred and something. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's not one I've heard of. Oh, she's so good. She's kind of in the vein of Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. but she has a main protagonist mm-hmm. that is, you know, just. Now, these are the ones where everyone sits down in the parlor. Yes, and, and no, no action ID. really happens. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. just yes. sit around and talk a lot, and then they solve it. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not uh, James Lee Burke, who's mm. so active and sure. so well, visceral. Yes, mm. and so raw. Yeah, mm. I love Roba Show, but it is very raw. That I think is um, when we start talking about male versus female. Mm. Um, very masculine. His writer. are very masculine and probably harder for women to relate to because we really aren't into fist fights generally. Hmm. 
Oh, you know, speak for yourself. Um, <laughs> well, well, okay. <laughs> um, before we get into Tanya's fist fight stories, instead, we're going to pivot to what have you been reading recently? Pride and Prejudice, yeah. because as from last week, I'm reading it though really content, contemplatively this time because Lita was coming to spend a couple of days with Lee and Dana and me talking about it, talking through it. And so I read it a lot more carefully this time than I have in previous years. I mean, yeah. as a teenager, I just read it for sheer enjoyment. In college, I read it because, you know, I had to, yeah. but still enjoyed it. I mean, I said for years, it was my favorite novel ever written, and I don't know that there's a novel I've enjoyed more well, or reread more times, and this time I'm enjoying it just as much. We're going to do a whole episode on Pride and Prejudice. So I need to stop. But would you consider yourself a, more broadly an Austin fan? Yes, okay, I would. There is one Austin book that I am not a big fan of that Lita loves. And so I need to reread so speaking that. of fist fights. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. And we need to, Lita and I need to <laughs> have, okay. we need to have a big discussion about that, but I need to reread it and see if she can sway Wait, me. What's the name of said book? It's Mansfield Park. Oh, okay. Yes, which she's teaching right now in the Memorial College online class. Maybe that's what I should do. Oh. You should come. Take the class I should do that. Yes. I right. should do that. Well, and I, just say, I, uh, you know, I hate this book. I run the program. I run the program. <laughs> so, you know, fill out an application. And okay. I'll, I'll oh, and you'll let me in? I have a yeah. feeling I can get somebody around here to help me technically get myself yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> so, Martin, what about you? What have you been reading recently? Well, uh, like Tanya said, I've read Pride and Prejudice, but we're going to apparently talk about that later. Um, what I what I will be back to tonight uh, will be um, I'm, I'm reading. I mean, I read several books at a time, so I'm reading um, "The Mind of the Moralist" by Philip Reef, which is about Freud's thinking. Um, Dan Scheffler and I did a uh, an edition of our podcast, a "Dust Jacket," on uh, Philip Reef's "Triumph of the Therapeutic," which is one of the best intellectual books I think I've ever read, and this is just as good. Um, and uh, and so, so I'm reading that, and then I'm um, I, I'm always I, I always try to have a book of essays that I'm reading too, and I've been reading my favorite essayist, who's Joseph Epstein, mm. uh, his book Gollum Alfrey, uh, which is just another you know all of his books are just collections of his essays, and I just he's such a great writer, he's so easy, and he's just one of these people who has read everything. He, he doesn't even have, I think he's got a bachelor's degree and he's he's probably the greatest essayist writing in English mm. right now. I am really shocked that you said that. What? I always thought Chesterton was your favorite essayist. Well, I'm talking about living. I'm, I'm talking about living. A living a li he's your favorite living, living essayist. Yes. I see. But he's just got this easy style. It's as clear as a bell. The ref, his literary references, he literally has read everything. And that's what he's devoted his life to. And he, he reads and he writes about it. And it's just great. Did you just say he's very old? He is very old. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's so days. funny. He's living, but barely. <laughs> <laughs> he was checking. <laughs> he's still writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm reading um, The Prince and the Pauper by Mark Twain. Mm. Oh, um, yes. I have a particular interest in American literature. And I just, I saw someone just again say, Mark Twain, father of American literature. And I read a lot of Mark Twain. I read Prince of Popper and some of the other novels. I think he wrote eight total when I was younger. But I want to return to them because 
Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer specifically have never been my favorite mm. books. Mm. So I'm trying to come back and see what I, how I feel really about that claim of father of American literature. Yes. Mm. Which I'm amusing, but yes, yeah. I'm yeah, coming back to Mansfield park. You're going back to you know, Huck Finn. Yes. He may be, he maybe he's the father of contempor- of, of modern American literature. I mean, there's a big shift from uh, James Fenimore Cooper to Twain. And of course, Twain wrote this great takedown of James Fenimore Cooper's style, which I agree with. Uh, but I, and I love Huck Finn and mm. Tom Sawyer. I, do I, too. I think those are just fabulous books. But I re- I recently read his life in the Mississippi, and mm. I thoroughly enjoy. And it's just he's just kind of reminiscing. Mm. Uh, partic- most particularly about his life is his life as a river riverboat uh, uh, captain. Was that? I think he eventually was. And and I just found it out really fast. Mm. I, mm. I think I think Twain is just such a great writer. But he 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 seems he he does seem to be kind of the father of this sort of ironic tone in literature because yes. he's very ironic. And so maybe maybe in that regard, he's the father of modern ironic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so turning to our topic. In the forthcoming, and I, I think probably people have it now, but this this edition of our catalog, the winter 2023 edition, was just released. The featured article, this really great cover image. Um, Aileen outdid herself on this cover, I did. think. And I really like how it kind of pops off the page covering the title. What is it, the classical teacher? But it's t- entitled, Why Heroines Matter. But anyway, here's the question. Tanya, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Can a book with a heroine as opposed to a hero be a great book? Yes. I can't believe you even asked that question. Well, why? Give me a little bit of your... <laughs> I asked that question. Yeah, <laughs> so that is the Wait, central you question You asked of it with article. an answer. <laughs> you asked it so that you could say, indeed, yes. I'm putting words in your mouth. Now you, Johnny, answer emphatically yes. Yes, but I mean, maybe a male needs to answer this mm. instead of a female. Of course... For me, I, as I said earlier, I relate very well with heroines, being a woman. (laughs) I don't know that when I'm reading, I don't know that I even have paid attention to gender in my read, like to whether it's a male or a female who is the protagonist as long as there's somebody that has qualities that I feel would be qualities that I would aspire to, you know, virtue and integrity and all of those things that I don't remember ever paying attention to or thinking about whether it was male or female. Martin, what about you? How do you, your initial reaction when you hear this question that is kind of the central question of the article, what's your response? What's your gut instinct? Well, I, you know, reading the article just brought up a lot of questions in my mind about this issue of how a male reader uh, reacts with a, with a text with a feminine hero um, as, as opposed to a male, he, one with a male hero. I, 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 um, you, you, it's hard because you got to go back and you have to think about how do you read? I mean, you mm. know, you, you, mm. you can think about what you read, but think about how you read when you're mm. doing it is hard to do. And I, I, I have, I have never had any problem, um, uh, reading a book about a female 
you know, a heroine. I feel like, you know, reading Pride and Prejudice again um, for the show, I um, I have I don't feel uncomfortable. I don't I don't feel any. I enjoy being inside the head of the female character, and it doesn't bother me. And and you know, in fact, you know, Lita, uh, you you said um, uh, ask a man why he's reading an Austen novel, and he probably will not say it is in order to better understand himself, as opposed to what you said before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I, I read just for pure enlightenment and enjoyment. So I'm not sure I asked that question at all. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, whether male or female, whether to me, right. it just doesn't matter to me. And I, and I, 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 I enjoy, uh, pride and prejudice in Elizabeth, uh, just as much as I enjoy, I don't know what's, what's a novel with a male character. I, I just, as I would enjoy any novel with a with a male character, and I, I don't feel uncomfortable in being in the psyche of a female character. I do and, think, and I, I, you know, let me let me say, I also think that that all of the men I know uh, would not would not have who who would read Austen at all. I think it's not a separation between males and females when it comes to fe- uh, literature with female heroines. I think it's just a difference between. A literary male and a non-literary male. male. I think I, that's I, it, it too. And right. I always want to know when I meet a man if he loves Austin. Hmm. And if he does, I always think more of him because well. I think <laughs> you're somebody with an imagination who can read and who doesn't think, you know, Austin is or Anne of Green Gables is only for girls, hmm. which mm-hmm. and honestly, having taught Anne of Green to Gables to sixth grade boys. They do come in thinking, I don't want to read this because it's well, about a girl. It, see, and where this does is what that needs to be from? reconciled to me. Right. Where does it come question. from? There are specific books that appeal to boys. There just are. Uh, certain adventure books. And there, there's things that my grandsons want to read that are different from what Sylvie, my granddaughter, wants to read. So there is a difference. So I'm trying to, how do I, yeah. how do I reconcile that with the idea that when I think my grandsons grow up, if they're mature and well-read, they will be able to completely appreciate Pride and Prejudice or Persuasion. What it, what it, how, do I rec- how do you reconcile those two thoughts? That's, that's what I... It does seem to me like, Lita, this is what you were thinking about when you wrote the article, and I'm going to ask you about that. But first, yeah. we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> Memoria Press invites your students to enter a world of truth and beauty found within the brushstrokes and handiwork of the great artists of the Western world. Join Kyle Yonke as he unlocks the works of more than 5,000 years of art history to explore how a classical history of art lays a foundation for the great artists of our future. A Classical History of Art, available now from Memoria Press. Lita, what was it that you were thinking about that inspired you to write this article? What were you wrestling with? Was it some of the issues that Martin was just talking about? Uh, yes. And I'm hearing you both talk. I'm wondering, have I created a, you know, a false problem here? <laughs> but I, it actually, it actually is a genuine question for me. Um, and to, to clarify, I, I, um, I try to clarify this in the article too, by, um, you know, can a book with a heroine be a great book? By great, I do not mean, um, well-written, uh, insightful, rich, complex. I mean, um, 
uh, great as universal. So can, um, does the experience of this central character, um, is it is it somehow a universal experience that every single reader could um, somehow, I don't really like this, this metaphor, but plug their own experience into, that somehow, um, uh, yeah, it, it embodies the human experience, um, which I think we would pretty easily say about um, Achilles, um, that Achilles is before before he's before he's a, a male, he's human. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same with same with Dante, um, Ishmael. I think those are the examples that I used. Um, I. I don't think it's quite as easy to um, sort of remove the the femaleness of a heroine um, right off the bat, um, and I th- and I think um, you know I've heard I've heard a lot of a lot of men say, well, yeah, I would read I would read Austin to better understand women, like that's mm. you know that's that's why I would. That's that's kind of the the value that I would see from not that that's a not a valuable thing to better understand women, but that the um, but there there's something more particular um, about uh, a heroine that um, that makes it harder for every reader to yeah to kind of plug into her experience um, and uh, and maybe and maybe you know, what you're saying, Martin, about, um, that does it, does it have to do with age? I do think there is that, um, that, that girls have an easier time reading books with male protagonists mm-hmm. than boys do books with female protagonists. Is that just, is that just a maturity thing? Well, I think, yeah, because you said age, but yeah, I think it, you said, then you said maturity. Yeah, and I think yeah. it is a, I think it is a maturity issue. So I think maybe the conclusion I'm coming to is it's more difficult, um, to to kind of see the universality of 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 a female protagonist not why? that it's why is yeah that? that's that's well, well because what, you know you 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 have to be you have to be able to put yourself in the psyche of another person okay now a, a male does not have to do that if he's reading literature with male heroes he doesn't have to do that as much whereas if he's more mature he should be able to take himself out of himself and put himself in somebody else's situation. But and, isn't and that the same thing true for females? I, well, you know, I mean, Lita's saying not, and I, but, but I think, okay, I think females, quite frankly, uh, until they're very much adults, are more mature than males. And in, 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 in a lot of respects, so she, she's enjoying this. I, no, they are. They, Just no, trying uh, to get you to say I mean, this. I mean, everyone knows this, that girls in right. school that are more mature than the boys. All right. True. And and I think, so I really do think this, now that Alita said it, I think this is what really addresses this issue. Now, but I think later on, if a male mat- matures, I mean, this still, you look at a whole bunch of sociological uh, problems and, and a lot of them have to do with immature males. Okay, so that's just a problem with with males, and it's more of a problem with males than females. And so, but I think once that is resolved in a, in a male adulthood, then I think you could read us. Well, I think we could burrow into the question that you're asking by bringing in another aspect of what you talk about in the article, and that is, there's the question of 
do males or females relate to novels or books that have male or female protagonists that's the opposite of their of them or on the other hand is there something about the sphere of operation that the particular protagonist is in so does a female not relate to a male protagonist led book because they're at war and it reminds me of my father who's an immensely well-read person but doesn't love fiction doesn't love literature and whenever you would mention a book like this to him you'd say oh, i don't love it not enough machine guns you know the the, mm. the the sphere of operation. I don't think I saw a single one in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, there's no machine guns in Pride and Prejudice. Spoiler alert. Um, do you think that there is a distinction between because there are some perhaps books where the male protagonist does operate in a sphere of of operation that is similar to the female protagonist? What what does that dual spheres of operation add to your article? Yeah, this. So my kind of my hypothesis is that um, the, if there is this problem of of uni- the heroine being a universal figure, that it has less to do with her gender and more that um, books with um, heroines uh, tend to the this the setting, yeah, the sphere of operations tends to be more confined. Things happen inside houses and rooms. And inside, and inside somebody's her head, head a little bit more yes. too, I think. Um it's about it's they tend to be about relationships um and um what emotional turmoil rather than um activity um kind of going on in the world. And I think that's pretty standard. Even you know, even uh doesn't have to be just you know, like war versus dinner parties. But um, most most of the great classics with male protagonists um, involve some sort of journey, adventure, movement, um, just like physical movement. I think most most with female protagonists don't involve a lot of physical movement. Yeah, is um, there a psychological subtlety to many female? writers that you don't find as much in male writers, although there are male writers that do have this, and I think particularly of Henry James. There's, well, a, there's a psychological subtlety, and it seems to me like the people who don't like uh, uh, literature with, the, with, with heroines in them <clears throat> written by women won't like Henry James either. I well, think and that's, I think, a different question, the, yeah. the male and female writers. Um, how, how does that affect things? Yeah. Um, but is the reason we don't see as much activity from women because we are focusing on books that were written a long time ago and they women had a limited role. It was just, I mean, it just is what it is and mm-hmm. their lives are what they were. And and yeah, there there are there are heroines in you know, uh, uh, Lita mentions uh Homer here also Shakespeare. Shakespeare has some very well developed um, female characters, very distinctive female characters. So it's not like, like it's they, not like they're not there, and and it's not like they're not there in some of the greatest uh, of the of Western writings. But I, you know, maybe generally speaking. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Penelope and Odysseus, Lita, you you um, bring us to that point and use them specifically to illustrate your conclusion. How do you think Penelope and and Odysseus? Um, in the Odyssey, illustrate the point that you're trying to make in the article. Yeah, so uh, Odysseus, you know, great example of the um, 
the male-driven story that involves adventure, um, journeying, uh, and and the and the poem focuses on on his experiences. But um, I talk about this this great simile that happens at the end when they're reunited that just that kind of flips the picture on its head. Um, she's been she's been stuck at home. Um, dealing with this very fraught political familial situation, um, dealing with her grief over his loss. Um, and uh, this simile compares um, her experience, well, it describes what seems to be Odysseus's experience um, of somebody, of a shipwrecked guy kind of washing to shore and, you know, kissing the sand, mm. um, being so, so happy to uh, have reached home. Um so what sounds like his experience and um, and describing it of her and saying that that is, has been her experience, um, which suggests whatever was happening to her when she was stuck inside this house with these horrible suitors trying to figure out what to do was a kind of journey <clears throat> and not one that Homer really portrayed. You know he is he's focused on Odysseus, but he seems to be to be telling us. But no, there's a story there mm-hmm. that I'm not going to tell, but that is is worth telling. Um, that's that's a journey, and that you know that caused me to think maybe this distinction um, between male and female driven stories is is kind of a false distinction that we're dealing with different kinds of journeys mm. um, rather than um, you know, rather than kind of the, the static um, the static story versus the a- active story. Sure. And, uh, and, it, and, and it, it's, um, it's also, I mean, it's not just that, that, that some of these stories are about somebody in a house. Like right. Penelope. It's, it's also, you're also in the head a little bit more, you know, I mean, you read, you read Austin and, you know, most of what you're reading about is what's going on up here. In, in a sense, they're more intellectual than, yes. than a lot of the stories about males, which are, are more action driven where the setting matters more, where the, uh, uh, the plot maybe even matters a little bit more. Uh, whereas, whereas you, you're reading Austin and it, you're, you're in her head, you're in a, the character's head a whole lot more than you are in a lot of stories with male heroes, I think. Now, Lita, can I, can I put you on the, on the stand and cross-examine you yes. with, some, <laughs> with some questions, uh, objections and such? I think immediately, if I'm thinking of a book with a female protagonist, perhaps, um, a book that comes to mind is Anna Karenina. When you read that book, though, it seems like one of the mysteries and the beauties of it is how it shifts the point of view throughout the novel. And so you relate to Levin. Mm-hmm. You also relate to Anna Karenina. Do you think that maybe the false dichotomy extends to whether a central protagonist is even a mark of all great books? Or do you think there's room for great books that have multiple protagonists? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, because because one could make the argument, well, Homer sort of has two, sure. you know, two heroes here. Um, though, I, I guess I think maybe this isn't true of Anna Karenina, but I mean, it's the title is her name. She sure. is the 
She maybe she's, she's the antagonist. She's kind of the, but she's the heart of that. Sure. No, so I, I guess I think that a novel sort of has to have that central figure. <laughs> but you're right that um, that there are many novels that that will follow several characters. Mm. Um, yeah, in which case that would complicate things sure. too here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you mentioned this before. You know. Uh, <clears throat> Male author versus female author. Can I, I, if I'm messing you up here, and no, go for I, it. I have a question. And <clears throat> so you have the you have a, a writer like Jane Austen who's portraying a heroine, but then you you read Tolstoy, and Tolstoy seems to be able to invoke the thoughts of a female character utterly convincingly. To it seems like to me. Um. And this is also the case with Wendell Berry. Mm. Uh, um, we were at a conference out here and he was speaking and, and somebody in the audience asked <clears throat> um, how he was able to write about the thoughts of a woman so convincingly. It was a, a female in the audience. And um, he, 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 and he, he, did, he did beg off a little bit because he said, he said, well, <laughs> I, I will write and my wife will review my, my, my writing. And she'll say, she'll say, Wendell, a woman would not say this. <laughs> so he, he, he says he has help, but there's still something about his writing that where he's able to do this. But he was, you know, he was an avid reader of mm -hmm. Austin and mm -hmm. many other female, George Eliot. And, you know, he, he studied those those female authors and he read a lot about women and what they were thinking. Well, he also did something that's essential, I think, to understand how women think he's married. Yes, that's true. I don't know. <laughs> I think my husband would helped, say yeah. it hasn't helped at all. <laughs> <laughs> helped him at all. Well, and I think that's, that's evidence. The fact that, and I think we could say vice versa too, that Austin seems to really be able to get inside the heads mm. of men. Yeah. Uh, George Eliot, mm. uh, the same way. That 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 is an argument for that that fundamental universality that universality yeah. that um, that male and female authors seem able to write mm -hmm. male and female characters mm -hmm. equally well. Yeah, Lead but I don't think that. Do you think Anna Karenina is a heroine? No, mm, I don't either. No, but but okay. Yeah, see, I thinking thinking back on on Anna Karenina, <laughs> I always think. I think Levin is the chief. I, I always too. wonder why did you? Why did he name it? Because I'm he should have named it Lev. Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's. I mean, it's, it's Anna going to hell, and it's 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 Levin going to heaven. I mean, it's really what the story's about. And um, but everyone thinks it's because it's the title. And I always wonder why did he actually pick that title? And then Kitty, it seems to me, is the heroine. Yes. Of Anna Karenina. I mean, what a what a wonderful female character. Yes. You just fall in love with with Kitty. Well, and I so, think Dickens has a lot of mm. heroines. I think Dickens yes. writes very well of women. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, hopefully, men reading Dickens, who also has many uh, male characters, more really more male, I guess, than female. But, well, but and, I think that hopefully, you know, they learn to relate a little bit better. I don't know. Why do we seem to be able to, I don't know. This is it. Well, I, and I check Dickens is an interesting uh, name to bring in here because um, as uh, I, I just grabbed a couple of, you know, literary uh, volumes of literary criticism off my shelf. And one of the comments, I think Harold Bloom 
uh, makes it. He's, he compares Austin to Dickens in terms of characterization, where, but Dickens is a little bit more caricaturish. Right. But, but in, dis, in, in terms of distinctiveness, uh, he compares Austin favorably to Dickens. Mm-hmm. Lita does too. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. We, did, she and I just had this conversation. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So another thought that struck me, Lita, this is a little random, but as I read your article, I feel like maybe proof of proof of concept for mm-hmm. your article would be that I think boys, men tend to gravitate more to the Bronte sisters than mm-hmm. to the, than to That's Austin. Because he loves Wuthering Heights that he says that. And, and Jane Eyre. And but Jane also Eyre. I think maybe because the sphere of operation is slightly less domestic. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that like mm-hmm. kind of proves your point that I, I gravitate for some reason to the psychological terror of the Bronte sisters <laughs> and away from. <laughs> and uh, many women do too. Mm, it, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I wonder if, you know, to, to kind of put a wrench in my own. Well, no, I don't know if this is putting a wrench in it. But I wonder if one could even say that women find it easier to relate to um, to characters in a, a more active sphere mm. of, of operations than, um, than, yeah, these domestic situations. Do that, women understand men better than men understand women? No. <laughs> I think we're getting think outside they, the sphere I of this podcast. I think it's one of the questions I got from, from the article. I mean, is that, is that, mm. I, I, you, she didn't really address it, but it seems to me it, it, it flows out of this article a little bit is, 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 uh, and, and again, I just think it's a matter of maturity. I think women are generally speaking more mature and intellectually, psychologically mature than men. And because of that, they can understand how males think better than, than males can understand how women think. We'll make sure Joyce that's my, that's listens my to this. You're still an enigma to me. <laughs> <laughs> so let me end on this question and I'm going to put you on the spot like I always do. Can you all think of your favorite book that is perhaps a female book, you know, or as, as you said, a female driven story or has a female protagonist and why it's, it's your favorite. So I'll start, give you a little time. Um, what comes immediately to mind for me is as you like it and mm-hmm. Rosalind, um, one of the great female protagonists in Shakespeare. And I think, I, I like that story particularly because of some of the motifs of um, fate and choice that are in the lips on the lips of Rosalind that you don't, she's a philosopher in this in play and the way that she ends up orchestrating her own story is a very cl- clever subversion of kind of the roles of the time that were typically accepted. And that's what makes her such a unique Shakespearean character um, and the way that she kind of, interacts with Orlando is very, very clever. Um, and so I've always enjoyed Rosalind and as you like it. Well, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think the two books and two characters, uh, I think obviously, you know, one here is, is Elizabeth in, in, um, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, and the other would be Jane Eyre. I, mm. I, I, um, I was completely captured mm. by that novel. And, uh, I, I, um, I just, I love that character and yeah. So that's my answer. <laughs> um, Too many to pick from. I'm going to get Mansfield park out here on oh, the table we, because <laughs> my least because favorite character. I think she's kind of the, I mean, you want static or what, what people say it's a static character. Oh. This character who just doesn't move. Mm. Um, 
is is the objection to the heroine of Mansfield Park. And um, Mansfield Park was kind of my gateway book to Austin. Oh. I uh, I came to I, I came to love Austin really late for a girl. I think like I was way into college. Didn't, um, but reading Mansfield Park um, and. I I love the heroine of Mansfield Park because she's such a surprise. Mm. After writing Elizabeth Bennett, who um, I think was uh, was voted I don't know by who, but um, the the character in literature that most women want to be mm. and most men want to be with. Mm. Um, I mean, she's just she's an absolute delight. Um, Austin wrote that novel, wrote Elizabeth Bennett, and then instead of you know writing. Elizabeth Bennett 2.0, as everybody else would have done. She writes this completely different, mm-hmm. passive, um, quiet, uh, contained internal, um, you know, character whose feelings prey upon her. And uh, and so many readers are just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I, I love the surprise of that character mm-hmm. and how she kind of opens up um, she really requires you to pay attention to her in order for her to sort of open up and um, and develop um, into someone really interesting. So I love her. Okay, when wow. Lita comes back in July, we need to we'll do, do this it. again yes. with Mansfield, Mansfield Park, Park and Battle. see if my mind has been changed. Okay. But Fanny is not my favorite. <laughs> she's my least okay. favorite Austin character, and she's Lita's favorite. So what does that tell you? Yeah. But I was I. I don't know who my favorite female protagonist is. I've already said that I think Pride and Prejudice is the novel that I enjoy more than any that I've read. And You're not I keep returning to, to it. But I don't <laughs> well, I mean Wendell does have several protagonists mm-hmm. who are um definitely heroines. I to me, Elizabeth Bennett is not I don't think the protagonist that I I think because she's not really I don't know do I need an ideal mm, person and there's she is I mean she gets there but that process um she's not really the heroine above all heroines mm. to me even though I love the book and I love her as a character so who would that be? Who am I looking for? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to think about that. Okay. Think about it and get back with us. I will. But first I have to reread it's Mansfield gonna, It's going to be Fanny. In the end. <laughs> well, I'm going to read Fanny now with a different perspective, just based on the few things that you've said here. And then, and then you and I are going to talk. And maybe I'll watch your uh, class recordings mm-hmm. and see... Um, if you can sway me. Mm. (laughs) On that note, it's been a great conversation. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, 
and we'll see you next time.